I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. One of the things that COVID-19 has shown us is how important squash is in our lives. Not being able to go and play or go to tournaments, it's taught us how much we value the exercise, the wellness, and the fitness, but also the fun. Squash is inherently a community activity, and we miss the people. After the SEA Jubilee in January, with 1,300 people having dinner together in one room, life under the coronavirus is feeling pretty isolating. We gave the criteria to the real estate brokers, and we'd go see it, and then it didn't meet our criteria. And we're like, no, no, you can make a squash coffee. I'm like, no. What? I mean, I have a pillar on the left side of the wall. I mean, what's going to happen? Like, every time you hit a rail, it's just going to bounce off it. Like, it's not going to work. Like, or, you know, it's like a nine-foot ceiling. You're like, it's 15-foot front wall. Like, what are you going to do? Earlier this year, Manhattan Community Squash opened its doors. It's a five-court club on 39th and 5th Avenue. Behind the scenes is a brilliant polymath. Ten years ago, the Printing House, a beloved Tribeca squash club, closed, and James Green made it his mission to build a new squash club. But Manhattan Community Squash is different. It's a nonprofit, it's renting its space, and it's intentionally focused on accessibility and community. And that's their motto, making squash accessible. We are the opposite of exclusive. James Green is a great interview. He actually has his own podcast, Newsweek Conversations, just started in November. And that's where he talks with actors like William Defoe. It's pretty interesting. Stick around to the end of this interview, because Green has a marvelous twist on the old and very tired saw about squash and the vegetable. Enjoy. I started playing, I like to say I started, I started playing squash when I was 39. Truth what, is, last year? This is outrageous. Yeah, I'm 57. The, uh, the truth is that um, I had probably been on court 10 or 20 times before that in my life. Mm. But I'd never, it had never gelled. I'd never mm. done anything. Do and, you remember the very first time? Uh, I think at McGill University. I played twice or three times with an... I was a musician, and I played twice or three times with this other guy. Um, I don't even remember if they were narrow courts or wide courts or hardball or softball. I just remember when the score was 3-4, we'd say 3-4 time. And when it was 6-8, we'd say 6-8 time. Musician jokes. So that was probably the very first time. But, it, you know, I really, it didn't, was never part of my life. right? Um, and then my wife got pregnant, had a baby, and I gained a lot of weight. As, as many men do. <laughs> um, so I weigh about 185 now, 180, 85, and uh, I was at like 220, something like that, 215. Where were you living? In the West Village. Mm-hmm. And you, my wife's Australian, and uh, I love her to death, but you know Australians can be very straightforward people. And she told me where to go when I told her I was fat. <laughs> and it wasn't the gym. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the printing house was around the corner. Mm. We literally lived, I lived on King Street, printing house was on Leroy, right. and that's like three blocks away. And I said, it's too far, I'll never go. And she just told me to get my ass off the chair, go there. And I went there to join a gym. It turns out they had squash courts. They had this, but you didn't even I think didn't, about the squash part. No, you were like, was, oh, I can work out here. Yeah, I can it's work the out close, here. It's the, it's the closest gym. Fitness thing. Yeah, I just to go to the gym. And when I walked up, I saw they had squash courts and they had this program for um, uh, people who'd never played squash before. Uh, Saturdays, the first Saturday of every month, mm. they would give a free clinic to people to just say, this is the rules, this is how you play. And I did that. I thought, this is fun. Then I went to a round robin. Oh, my God, I got annihilated so badly, because you can imagine. Yeah. And then, and I was sort of too embarrassed to go, and this woman invited me to come to the women's round robin, and for a year and a half I played the women's round robin, uh, and they were so good to me. And I had these knockdown, drag-out matches with women where they won almost all the time. And after about a year, I beat, like, one of them. And that's how I got going in squash. So you were in your 40s. 
playing. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine, and then and then some playing yeah. playing in the women's round robin. Yes, comics. yes, that was that was me. That's how I got my start in squash. Wow. Um, and then that place had such a great community, and I sort of got it. What year was that? Uh, so it would have been 2001. So you were there for nine years, give or take ten years before yeah, you nine, nine, yeah, nine years, nine, ten years, yeah. 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 So I forget if it was the end of 2000 or 2001, but, you know, our daughter was born in October 2000, and it was shortly after that. Um, so the printing house uh, had an amazing... Uh, community of, of people from all over the city who yeah. would come there and, and people was, locals and everybody right it was amazing yeah. I mean it was just you know you met I met DJs and artists sculptors Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson worked out there you know so we'd see you'd go there and you'd see them on the floor I'm like oh my god <laughs> um, you know and you know just all walks of life and finance and lawyers yep. and right. you know, Tribeca and, yeah, yeah agency people just just all walks of life it was yeah. uh it was great and and I, I i i i still some of my best friends today are people that i met then. That, yeah. yeah and that's certainly where for me the the idea of community and squash came together mm-hmm. was from there because right. and i got super involved in the end to the extent so i was a three five player mm-hmm. if anyone joined at that level the club would say oh Talk to James. He'll get your match. And then I'd play them, and I'm like, oh, you'd be good with this person. Right. Just this unplayed enthusiast, unpaid enthusiast. Yeah. yeah. And were you, were you playing in leagues? And oh, yeah. I managed the, the, the 3.0, 3.5, and 4.0 teams as captain. Um, yeah. I was doing all of that. Right. Were you doing anything with with what's now New York Squash with the... the I didn't... I never... You were just in-house. Yeah, I was just in, in-house... Yeah. Loving the printing, loving yeah. it, just super enthusiastic. Just yeah, it, it changed my life. I lost all that weight. I met all these people. It was I had I had tried to be fit a few times in my life. It's so boring. It's so boring. And so I'd found this thing which would keep me fit and had so much fun. And then we'd go drinking afterwards, and it was around the corner from my house, and it was bliss. You had a job. I did. Yes, I was working. <laughs> I was working. You were I, there all the time. I uh, I run startup companies for a living, so I've run five uh, VC backed startups right. and sold them. Wow! And so I was doing that at the same time. Yeah. And truth be told, I often had my assistant help me schedule stuff. Like you know, if I'm captain of multiple teams, I'd give her the list uh, or him. Sometimes yeah. it was track, him. Track down. It's like you go find it's Dave. He, he's got to play matter. on Tuesday at seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, I was leveraging. I mean, I was leveraging what I could. Right. Right. Um, the printing house uh, got sold. So tell me about that saga of. Of um, it, it had been built in the uh, late nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, I wasn't here, so, so we moved to New York in the middle of two thousand. So it was, it was, uh, it, but it eventually got sold. It got sold to Equinox right. in uh, uh, in December. Well, in twenty ten, it closed, and it closed. Right, the squash courts closed in right. December twenty ten because it's still there. The right. printing house is still there as a fitness right thing. Do you still live around the corner? Uh, no, I don't. We moved. Uh, so I got the, of all the people, I got the easiest thing. Because that year in uh, November, first week of November, my family and I took off and went sailing for a year. Uh, so, wow. so, Did you grow up sailing? I did. I mean, well, I've sailed with my father. I'm not a huge sailor, though I'm a bigger sailor now. <laughs> um, it's something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, th- that's just the timing of how that happened. So the club was closing. <clears throat> a bunch of people were trying to persuade them to stay open. Right. I wasn't that active because I was leaving. I had been planning for a year. I'd been planning this trip for a year. It had been a lifelong ambition, right. and we were supposed to leave in October, and then we couldn't, and because of weather, and we ended up leaving in November. From and Manhattan? The, from Manhattan. We in, sailed from Manhattan oh to the Caribbean, God. then from the Caribbean across the Atlantic to Greece and Turkey. That was our year. So the winter in the Caribbean and the summer in the Aegean. Um, 
but as a result, I was not really part of that. You can talk to other people who will tell you this traumatic moment in the end of December where they emptied everyone's lockers into a big pile uh, just and were like, come get your stuff, get out of here. It was awful. I mean, it was awful and traumatic, and I didn't have to live through it. Um, so I left. Did you play any squash in that year you were on the boat? I did. I took my squash rackets, and whenever I went to a place with a squash court, I would, and I would go and play squash. I did. Uh, not a lot. But enough, yeah. But a little, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the three of you on the boat? Four of us. Four, two I kids? I have two kids, yeah. Yeah. No cats, no... Uh, no cats. No animals. No animals. Um, How big the boat? A 55-foot catamaran. Wow. It's a big boat. But a catamaran. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you left from Manhattan. How awesome is that? You just like walked down to the pier. Oh my God. We, we threw a party. Yeah. So first of all, we threw a party. We, we, um, we moored. We, I rented space on one of the t- piers. We uh, hired uh, a hugely famous DJ to DJ the party. His name is Questlove. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. you know Quest yes, Love. I do. Yeah. So Love, the only DJ I know. Questlove DJed my going away party. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> uh, and then we left from the dock. But the weather was so bad, we pulled into North Cove. <laughs> I left a couple of days later. But I did leave from the dock. But nobody cares. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, fantastic. Nothing to do with the. No, but I mean, that, that lifetime, lifelong dreams, like so many people have them and never make them happen. So yeah. it was really neat you did that. Yeah, yeah. So it was incredible. So then. So when you come back. So when I came back. Well, you did check your email a couple of times on the boat. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. We put a whole blog together. I mean, I was connected the whole time. We came back and I ended up getting work here again in New York, which wasn't obvious. I might not have. But I did, and of course I came back to play squash. And there's a core group of people: um, uh, David Allen, Brett Erasmus, um, uh, Bob Osborne, um, uh, David Hughes, uh, and a couple of others, who were trying to make a for-profit squash center mm. yeah. in New York. Right. They were just trying to do, just trying to replicate well, what the, they had. The printing house was for-profit, right? Yeah. So this was. Yeah. Just trying to write. How many courts were bringing? Five. Yeah. And how many are the Manhattan Community Squash oh, Center? God, wait, five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's we're trying to recreate the past or anything. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, the, uh, the they were doing that, mm. and they uh, and so of course we connected. I, I think it's an exaggeration to say they asked me to be part of it, or I asked to be part of it. It was just natural, right? Yeah. I called them up, and they're doing it. And hey, I I'm back. To, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Um, and my big contribution to them was to say, look, I think it's just too risky to be for profit. I think because I raise money for a living, like I, you know, I run these startups and I go to VCs or private equity and I raise money, and I know what that means. You know those conversations. I know those conversations, and you're like. They're like, how big's the opportunity? What's my return? What's the risk? And in, you know, you want to have ideally low low risk, high return. Doesn't happen, but you don't want high risk, low return. But that's squash. <laughs> that's just not. <laughs> that does, you know. And so I'm looking at them, and I'm like, just I can't, I can't go do that with you know. I, but what we could do is do a nonprofit, you know. And there's a lot of things that come with a nonprofit that helps us mm. because. When we looked at maximizing revenue, we ended up saying, well, it should just be a coaching center for juniors. You know, you can make a ton of money. I could put that business plan together. Yeah, for sure. I, I could. I mean, I, I could raise some money and go and put a private... I actually don't really understand why that hasn't happened. I'm totally not interested in it. You mean somebody building a three-core facility that is just junior only, basically? Yeah. Yeah, right. You make a ton of money. Yeah, all, all day, all summer. Yeah, all day long. Not the schools, but just elite junior pro training. Right? Yeah, you could. You could. I could do that, but we don't want to. I mean, it's well, the printing house wasn't that. No, and I, st- you know, I mean, to make it really selfish and about me, you know, just <laughs> why not? Um, I was started when I was thirty-nine. I'm fifty-seven, and I'm, you know, my kids did play squash. It didn't really gel with them, and partly because it got too expensive and too hard. Uh, it's not, I, I wanted others to have my experience, the joy of just being able to play, not the pain of trying to be the best, 
but the joy of just getting on court and having your ass kicked by a woman. It's great! Which you did. Which for... I did for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There are plenty of women who can still beat me yeah. today. <laughs> we saw a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. So, I should say that I'm still getting my ass kicked by women, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It right? doesn't matter, yeah. right? Yeah. But the uh, that's you know where the, I wanted it to go. Yeah, right. And and you asked very early on. Uh, the very first thing you said, you said, why non-profit squash and why the community center and why do you think this is going to be successful? And, and I think these things I'm about to say are coincidence, but they're reasons why I know we'll be successful, even to the point where perhaps we could take private, re- you know, make a return on people. Because mm. over the course of this time, there are some trends that have emerged mm. that are actually new. From 2011, from 2011 to now, there are some trends that have emerged that we're getting caught up in. (laughs) You know, if you want to be, you know, lucky or smart, which do you want to be? Lucky, right? So we're lucky, and they are as follows. Number one, more than any other time in society, people want to be fit. They, it's a bigger part of our lives than well, health and wellness and fitness and all of that than it's ever been, and it's only getting bigger. Number two, people are dying to be part of a community, right? More than ever. More than ever, they want to be part of a community. Number three, in fitness, general gyms don't work. Like, so crunch is not the future. New York Sports Club is not the future. It's Pilates or yoga or bar or something, or spinning. It's some specialized sport. And the hope is that, you know, the yoga thing will have a community plugged in. Turns out squash is way better than yoga at building community. Like, it's not, I'm sorry, but you can measure that any way you want. It's true. It's not, I mean, good luck keeping up. Like, it is so much better. And so just these trends have happened that we happen to be running into. Right. I mean, and they were not there no. before. The smartphone wasn't there. For yeah, no, no. So yeah. we are just getting, we're getting a little lucky here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when when we've been out drinking a little bit, we say we want to build a hundred of these centers. Yeah. Um, and I think it's possible. Yeah. Like, I think it's actually possible because, I mean, I look at what we, we've been open for paying customers now for two weeks. That's it. We have over 300 members. We've only been open for two weeks. Well, you already had some before you even opened. Sure. We had 200 before we opened. Amazing. Uh, people join every single day. If I was to go look at my, what, my phone today, uh, I'd be able to show you someone who signed up and paid today. $99 or whatever dollars yeah. a month right. to join today. Um, people join every single day. Yeah. And, and, you know, with... Yeah, so I so these are the reasons why I really, really think we will yeah. be successful. Well, it's also about building uh, not a 14, 16-court facility, building a small enough one, right? So tell yeah. me about the dynamics of, of, like, size. Yeah, so well, we're also lucky for a couple of other reasons. So one, um, uh, one we originally wanted to, our business model was to raise money, buy a building, own then a building. own a building, or the space, yeah. conduit, whatever, right. and then operate profitably within it. Right. And we couldn't raise enough money or find the right space to do that. So we rented. You told me when we talked a year ago about... Yeah, was it a hundred? I don't know. Some huge number of places that you physically went to to look oh, at. Oh yeah, we've sites. seen at least a hundred places. There's a hundred sites that yeah. you, you physically were like, today I'm going to this site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and we've seen walk around with. Absolutely, we know. have been. There were th- there were two other sites we actually had paperwork on all the way down, um, and they both fell apart for different reasons. Um, uh, so this is the third one that, and, and you know, like. And you, yeah, looked all over, you looked all over the boroughs, right, or just Manhattan? We really focused on Manhattan. Uh-huh. We, we, so we think it'll work everywhere else, uh, but if you put it right in the middle of Manhattan, 
you're kind of guaranteed it's going to work. You know, if you put it, you know, in the Bronx or in Queens or in Brooklyn, we think those are good satellite locations and you can make them work, but you kind of want to prove that it's going to get flooded if you put it right in the middle. And so that's what, so we decided to forego this idea of owning and just spend a ton of money on rent. It makes it much harder because if you raise the money and buy the building, then you don't have to pay rent, right? And you don't have to pay real estate taxes and all of those things. But because we're renting, effectively, we are paying real estate taxes because the for-profit guy has to pay the real estate taxes, put it into the rent. So I don't get that back. So it's much more expensive. Um, the, uh, uh, but this will be the flagship. And, and, and so... Um, I don't so know. The, the, well, tell me a little bit more about 100 sites. So... You'd go in and spend an hour walking away. I go, it's not going to work. Or a lot of these, yeah. did you really kind of have continuing conversations before? You Only went? two. Only two did we have continuing conversations. Most of them... Instantly, you know. Yeah, you'd go in. It's amazing. Like, we would ask always, can you just show us the plans up front? And so people, you didn't have to physically go. Yeah, so we don't have to go. It, it, they'd be like, no, you just come see it. It's going to be great. And then we go, and there'd be a column right in the middle. You know, and you're like, and how... How do we deal with that? Was was the low ceiling yeah, so usually it, the, the it's, thing, or what, what, what were it's the other problems? Either, the, th- the three problems were we won't sell it, we'll only rent it, low ceiling, column height, right? And and typically, the low ceiling was the hardest, right? So 9, 10, 11 foot ceilings, you have to have two floors, right? and suddenly everything's twice as expensive, right? Um, and... And, and it was just amazing how many people we'd, we gave the criteria to the real estate brokers and we'd go see it and then it didn't meet our criteria and be like no no you can make a squash coffee and I'm like no you can't no <laughs> you what can't. I mean I have a Pillar on the left side of the wall? I mean, what's going to happen? Like, every time you hit a rail, it's just going to bounce off it. Like, it's not going to work. Like, or, you know, it's like a nine-foot ceiling. You're like, it's 15-foot front wall. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't play squash. At nine feet, no. No. Um, Or 11, or whatever. Um, uh, So those were the three things that fell apart. We did find a couple... As soon as we removed the criteria of owning, mm. that we, changed everything. That changed everything. Yeah. Uh, so that's when we started to see some spaces, and we found the space we right. found. Right. Um, right. Uh, so we just had to remove one of those criteria. We obviously couldn't remove the court height or the court width. Or the so, or the co- yeah, but that's effectively the court width. Yeah. Uh, we, we couldn't do that, right. so we removed the only criteria we could remove, right. which was renting versus owning. I still hope that at some point we can own. Or the model could be rent or own, not just always renting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in some circumstances it works to rent. We would like to build something that lasts well beyond us. And one of the ways to do that is to own the real estate. You know, because otherwise, I mean, essentially what happened in the printing house is there was nothing wrong with the squash facility. They could just make more money doing something else. That's right. Well, And, and that happens... Everywhere. Right? Yeah. And so that oh. I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. You know, right. I mean... That conversation. Yeah. We don't want to maximize revenue. This is the other good thing about being a non-profit. We want to maximize accessibility. Right? right? So, I, listen, I've, I've talked to investors before, and, you know, when you're going to say, shall I do A or shall I do B, the questions that come back are, which one's more less expensive to implement? Which one will be more profitable in the short, medium, and long term? And then you frame your decisions along that. We don't want to do that. We want to say, which one's going to get more people playing squash? Right. Which is not the most profitable thing to do. Yeah. But you can do it if you're a nonprofit. If you're not, you're going to have some investor back there saying, I want a better return. Yeah. Why don't you give those juniors that are paying gazillions dollars to go play with you know whomever right. why don't you give it to them till 9 o'clock at night right. and kill the community and kill the community yeah. right. why don't you do one on one private lessons right. in prime time right we don't do that we don't do those things yeah um, so no one on one lessons in prime time in prime time no yeah 
That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Well, the way you designed it, you know, having a, a cafe, bar, you know, liquor license, um, uh, I mean, ha, ha, that's, a, that's a huge difference to, to have a place where people can socialize and hang out, um, as traditionally is the case in other countries that used to be the way, the model. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard of English squash facilities that make more money on the bar than they right, do right, in there. Right, right. <laughs> we don't actually want to go there. <laughs> it's not the point. Podcast listeners, that's not what we're about. <laughs> uh, um, but, but yes, we think you should be able to have a glass of Chardonnay or yes. a beer after you played or right. whatever. Right, and chat. Yeah. Um, have you talked with Barrett Tekijan? Yes. Did you go up to... Uh, to I've Portland? never been to Portland. <clears throat> so what, what, what did you borrow from his model? Because you guys started before he got going uh, looking for a place... But then he's got ahead and got in, you know, bought yeah. a synagogue and, and created this facility. And so what, what did you learn from him or what, what differences are there? Uh... The, the, um, there are a couple of differences based, I think, on his uh, lower cost of acquisition. I mean, Portland, Manhattan, a couple of differences in terms of dollars per yeah. square foot. Um, but there aren't big differences otherwise. So mm-hmm. what he talked to me about was the importance of community. Yeah. That um, one of the things I remember uh, is a little bit in the weeds, but um, traditionally health facility, health clubs have a bunch of trouble with towels. They walk out the door. So little known fact, servicing towels can be ungodly expensive. It's a big, big deal. And what uh, Barrett said was, if you set the right tone at the beginning and you don't say, you know, this is the rule, you must follow my rules, but you're like, this is a community, it's for you, this is how we operate, that people's behavior will, reflect, uh, that. will reflect that. And so that was probably the biggest thing that he taught mm-hmm. us. I'd like to think we would have got there anyway, but it certainly what he said resonated with us. Right. Um, and it's too early to say that We've only been open for two weeks, so what do we know? But I, I feel pretty good about that working yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, what sort of person is going to steal from your nonprofit community center? I mean, I mean, there will be someone because it's life. Yeah, but there won't be a lot. Right. Yeah, and it's not only that; it's it's setting a tone early on so people feel this is their place. They're excited to go because they're they're making new friends and right. and and sustaining old friendships. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and as you say, like squash has that as opposed to, you know, say you're on your Peloton, right? You're not yeah. you're not developing um, tangible bricks and mortar no. relationships. Yeah, I mean, when you're sitting on your you know spinning on your bike, um, you're not communicating with anyone else next to you when you're hitting a serve to your opponent and they return it in the nick (laughs) like there is something that happens then like I hate you (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know and so you're building a relationship every time you actually do it but you know there aren't many sports like that even tennis you have something between you that's right you know in squash, you are actually trying to get as close to the tee, both of you, basically trying to be as close to each other at the same time, at the same time as you can. Right. And this, you know, unless you're talking about wrestling or something like that, there's not a lot of other right. sports where you're, it's like that. Yeah. And yeah. so it does special things. Yeah. You had to raise a lot of money. Yeah. So... Is there any real estate market that's more insane than New York City, than Manhattan? I don't know. Maybe San Francisco, but maybe not, right? This is like the hardest. So you've done it in the hardest, in the middle of the hardest spot. I I think Frank Sinatra said it best. (laughs) (laughs) You can start singing? No, I'm not. But if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So that's right. So you're going to, you know, um, what's the next step are you are you just like uh we'll, so we'll with that in 20 years or like you like actively saying well we what about ha- toledo you know what about tulsa we have seen other opportunities i think that the next one would be much closer to home than toledo or tulsa mm. i think it you know brooklyn is more likely um uh it's one of the things that i've learned from 
not my non-squash activities is that you know if you can stay closer and do more similar things at the beginning right. you can have more success yeah. it's you know as soon as you start to spread things out or <clears throat> do things a little bit beyond yeah. it gets more complicated right so uh, i mean we do want to do things in Toledo and Tulsa but i don't think that'd be second yeah and we have had an opportunity that came up just before Christmas that we may look at, but it is the worst time for us. So we haven't got the Manhattan Community Squash Center to cash flow positive yet. Um, and you have to. And we have to. <coughs> um, you know, so, so we really, uh, we will do something, and we will do it in much less than 20 years, but I don't think we'll be ready well, maybe maybe this thing will happen. It's just really hard for us at the moment because we want. We're still deciding things like, should we give the unlimited members more stuff? You know, like to be unlimited mm. because the mix of people that we expected and that we have is different. So we. What was the mix you expected? We expected to, <clears throat> we have three tiers, uh, off peak only for ninety nine dollars a month. Uh, what we call pay to play, which is you can play any time, uh, but you have to pay court fees, is one ninety nine a month, and then unlimited is two ninety nine a month. And we thought that off peak would be forty to fifty percent, and the other ones would be like twenty five twenty five. Mm. What's actually happened is that off peak is a, is a little over sixty percent. Wow. And uh, the pay to play is about twenty five percent, and the Unlimited is eleven to twelve percent, so the off peak is actually sixty-two three percent. Mm. Uh, now, we do think that perhaps some people are signing up at the cheapest one, thinking I could just upgrade. Yep, uh, but maybe not. Right. Well, you have to see it. And and none of that, by the way, factors in the fact that twenty percent, twenty percent of our membership has a discount on on top of whatever they get. So if you make less than seventy-five thousand dollars a year as an individual or $115,000 a year as a family, we will give you a discount. And the discount can take you as low as $32 a month. So, wow. And 20% of our membership has Far a discount. Yeah. So 20% of the membership are below one or two, one of those, those two tiers, which is exactly <coughs> what we want and right. which no investor would let us do. <laughs> <laughs> but that also brings down the cash, cash flow, right? And so... Uh, we need a few more players. We've got 300. I'd like to see us at 400. If that stays the mix, I think we can support it. Because at You can't have 2,000. No. Right? No. You need people to be able to get a court. We, we think the peak players could be at about 250, maybe 275. And at, at those numbers, you could play at three peak times. One in the morning or lunch, one in the evening, and one... In the week, uh, okay. actually, one on the weekend, which is not peak time, mm. uh, but you could play three times a week. We mm. could support that right. at two fifty, two seventy five. Every single one of the members could play that often, right. uh, but it would be tight. a little tight. But, but we're not close to that yeah, at the moment. Yeah. And so you and I were talking earlier about schools and your feeling about not having you know a dozen middle and upper school, high school team. Uh, practicing at, at, at the at the club. So why is that? Uh, first of all, we feel pretty strongly that they'll find a place to play. Like those teams, they'll find a place to play. So I'm not expanding squash. Those people are going to play squash. Anyway. Anyway. Right. I don't know where they'll play, but they'll find a place. Yeah. Those are pretty well-endowed schools that are playing. It's not like, it's not, you know, the Lower East Side Middle School that's playing, right. you know, right. whatever it is. So it's PS 278. They're not they're not the guys that are playing. It's yeah. I don't want to name the names, yeah. but it, right. it's it's well endowed private schools, right. and those people play squash and they'll find a place. And it is difficult for them, but my heart bleeds less for them. I mean, you know, I so so we feel that if we took our court time and gave it to them, yeah. then we would be taking time away from people who otherwise might not play squash. Right. So we're not expanding the universe. Right. So the only reason to do it is money. And it's not the most efficient use of money either. So you are better off having junior individuals, mm -hmm. and anyone can play. Yeah. They pay quite a lot of money. Right. Peter Nickel, I think, runs the best junior program in the world. We really do believe that. I mean, yes, he is here, but we did get to choose who we partner with. 
I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he and Jess and what they do with kids is spectacular. It's well-rounded. They worry about they worry about their mental state, not just how their backhand is. They they teach them, you know, a really holistic approach, and they teach them in groups, which we think is better. So yes. as opposed to you know, little Timmy has to. He's twelve years old. He's on court drilling with some Egyptian <clears throat> pro. Right. Egyptians are the best squash players, so fair enough. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we prefer little Jimmy playing with little Timmy and little Janie, and they're all getting on court, and they're all making friends, yes. and they're all doing it together, which, by the way, is the way the Egyptians do it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that, and we yeah. think you make more <clears throat> money that way as well yeah. than going out to a school. Right. Because the school just can't afford to do that. It's, you know... They're reserving the time. Well, you also were saying about the the sense of community that 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 you want. If you have a a school program sort of swamping the place, coming and going, and not yeah, um, yeah, not hanging around off season. Yeah, it's the other thing that we insisted with all the juniors that play is that they must be members, so that they hopefully will also play. So Mm. they'll do their group lessons, but they'll come back and play. A community is made up of everyone, you know, so I'd like, I'm happy for five-year-old members of the community and 95-year-olds members of the community. At the moment, our age group tops out at 80, mm. but we have an 80-year-old, Good. and I think we have a couple, actually, and uh, the youngest, I think, is, I don't I want to swear to this, but it's sort of eight or nine, right? Mm. So we've Bo- got... Bodhi's not a member yet? Bodhi, you know what? Bodhi gets free lessons. What? It's outrageous. It is. He was highlighted as taking a class because we get financial reports, and he's zero next to I couldn't believe outrageous. that Peter outrageous. is insisting that his son get free lessons from him. It's so it's outrageous. Been... That kid is talented, by the way. Yeah. He, he and Logan were playing uh, right yeah. yesterday. Yeah. He's going to be a good squash player. Well, I mean, his father's number one for five years, so he has got a fairly high bar. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's a talented kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you and I also were talking about um, the urban squash component that you're going to have at the center. Tell me how that's going to work. Yeah, so we're excited about that. We wanted to have an urban squash program, but we don't have rooms for classrooms. Um, we don't have, um, you know, a typical urban sports program. You, you play squash, and then the sort of the the program goes <coughs> on into the evening. And so, yeah. if we had a typical one, uh, it would limit other types of community, right. right? So we have to find a way to embed a program into the community, and we really want to have all walks of society. So we really do want an urban program because. It's great that middle-class people will pay, but and it's great that privileged people will pay, but we would like the people, you know, that's why we have those discounts. So what we did um, is we partnered with an organization called Hudson Guild. And uh, Hudson Guild runs um, the, uh, the, a community center, community centers, uh, for low-income housing in Manhattan. Uh, the ones that are most visible are the ones in Chelsea, uh, around 9th and 23rd. There's big low-income housing things there, but they run a, they run services across that and some others up the west side. Coincidentally, it's all on the west side. Hmm. And they run an after-school program for um, kids who are in those programs, and um, uh, they run everything in it, basketball, theater. Whoopi Goldberg came out of their theater program. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, you know, that's a real thing. <laughs> Uh, and so what we're doing, rather than trying to do it all, is we're giving them free uh, a free squash clinic. And, and really, and the, you know, this is, again, thanks to Peter Nickel and Nickel Squash and the team there, as well as us. Um, he has what he calls the Rising Stars program, which is kids who are just new to squash. And he is, a, he is going to allow the Hudson Guild people, he's going to coach these kids for free. And they'll be part of his Rising Stars program. So there'll be some fairly privileged kids who are new to squash, and there'll be these other people. I don't think the kids will have any idea. Right. My experience of kids from these economic groups is yeah. they haven't learned any of that stuff yet. Right. They don't know. 
I don't know who's going to be the best squash player. I'm going to say yes, it'll be one of them. <laughs> um, and uh, this will be a totally integrated program. Um, and we're going to start with uh, 20 kids. Um, and uh, a couple of days a week. Uh, and um, that actually starts next week. Uh, right away? Right away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Um, Are you having like, a big opening party? We've talked you, you, about... You've been opening for like six months now. There's yeah, been like something going on. Yeah. So like, we've talked about an opening party <clears throat> and we made a very concrete decision not to... Op- not to ha- we had, we've had one party, which was sort of lease signing party, right? Uh, we, it was, the space was totally raw. We had a whole bunch of people in. Peter and I spoke for about 90 seconds each. Uh, we had some beer and food and we tried to get people to sign up. And that was the only party we've had. We've had round robins and other things, but we haven't had any parties. And we talked about it internally, and we decided we're not going to have a party until we're completely open. So the cafe is not finished, the laundry facility is not finished, and we're just, so we're just waiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we will have one. It's going to feel odd, I think. Because like, it's, going to be, it's opening? I've been here for... Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a little bit like that. Uh, but we're going to call it an opening party, not yeah. a completion party, because that seems lame. Yeah. Uh, but we will have one, and it'll probably be in the spring. Um, and my guess is it'll be when the cafe opens, because that's sort of obvious. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you'll have a place to go. We'll, right. You know... Um, but we've decided not to have an opening party till that happens. So when you showed me around today, you pointed out a couple sort of unique parts or um, slightly interesting parts. One is the laundry service. So every member is going to be able just to leave their sweaty clothes. They'll get washed and yeah. and, and dried and, and, and put back in their in their locker. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. I have nothing to add to that. Okay. You know? That's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and awesome. We're doing, we're, you know, we're doing a few... I, I like these swipe card things. So, you know, you know, swipe in and the same swipe card will unlock only your locker, your locker and only your locker, which I kind of like because combinations and... Can't remember them. Can't remember, them and can't remember anything yeah. now. You yeah. don't need to, so... Yeah. The other nice thing about that is we'll end up automating uh, checking into your court because you'll swipe in, we'll see you. So we're going to have a whole bunch of technology there. Right. We, we haven't, I haven't talked to you about this, and I haven't really told anyone, so we'll announce it exclusively here. Um, we will also have your ability to record your game on your court. Mm-hmm. Um, There'll uh, be video cameras. So we have them. We built custom built. video cameras yeah. using a little thing called a Raspberry Pi, and one of our community members built it, and he's integrated it. And so you'll be able to go to your phone and say record, and you'll be able to record court five and do all of that and then you'll be able to watch it on your phone and you'll be able to watch it on your phone uh, I want to build it so that you can do it after you've played so that if someone says that was it man and you're like no it wasn't I'm like let's buy the video <laughs> let's find out because I think that happens yeah. you're like oh my god that was a great match that was a great point that was a great that, point that last game was incredible let's right. get that because I think that's sort of ha- more how it happens than when you right. get on court like Hey, this could be great. Yeah. So the idea, yeah, we'll have to. When it launches, it probably won't do that. But that's where I'd like to get it to. Uh, we'll keep everything for a week, and then you can decide. You know, I want to have whatever happened on court five at four thirty, uh, and you'll see that. So we'll do that too. Um, you show me the speaker. So tell me about the the sort of build-in speakers. Yeah. So we were inspired again by Peter Nichols. So when Peter and his team play um, uh, teach they often play fairly loud music uh, sort of brings the energy up and the kids love it yeah. and um, and so we've just and, and of course you'd see that in spinning classes and if you go to spinning classes what you often see is people with headsets and then they're talking yeah. and so we just took all of that and put it together so each of the courts has an isolated speaker system as well as one in the stretching area and one in the cafe and then one in the locker room they're all separate areas mm. that we can program <clears throat> Right. Um, and then we have headsets that you can program in on top of that. So you can play music on courts four and five and not have it play anywhere else. It'll bleed out, but mm. it won't then be everywhere and loud. Mm. 
or you could have background music there or no music or you could just put your headset on and then coach the kids right. or coach whomever. Well, that seems very innovative to have, say, half a dozen kids on court doing drills and stuff and you don't need, you know, you're not on the court but you can, they can hear you perfectly because you're yeah. talking to them yeah. as opposed to yelling. So we'll do that. Out. It's certainly one of our mission, state, mission ideas is to bring all of the innovators, innovations that's happened to the world to squash. I love squash, but it's not been innovative. It's just, you know, you can go to a private club in New York City today, and it is the same as it was in 2010, 2000, 1990. Like, there's really been very little right. change. Right. Some of them now have electronic booking systems, but you still, a lot of them you call, or they have some chalkboard, or yeah. like it's... Yeah. Well, and you were talking about using a club locker venue... So when you walk in, you'll see you know who's yep. who's supposed to be on which court. We are on the bleeding edge of Club Locker. I recently I was talking to Ryan Rayfield, who sort of runs product for for US Squash, and I'm like, Hey Ryan, can I talk to some other club who's doing what we're doing? And he sort of didn't say anything for a little while, and then he's like, Yeah, no one's doing what you're doing. <laughs> so they're building a we're pushing the envelope yes. of what Club Locker can do, which is. Great. Yeah. It's also a little terrible because it breaks a bunch of the time. But they'll fix it. I mean, it's just I've been a startup guy for long enough to know that it'll work in the end. Yeah. Uh, but we are pushing uh, what Club Locker can and cannot do, or racing what mm. it cannot do and making it into what it can do right. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of like, you know, it has these two things. One is the sort of super techie, you know, state-of-the-art. And the other side of it is like the oldest thing known to human and civilization, right? Yes. Right. You have you have like these absolutely diametrically opposed or or you know different aspects of the human condition, right? You yeah. have like we have the best technology, we're the most up to date, and also we're emphasizing and being deliberative about human interaction and making you know community. Yeah. Having people actually look each other in the eye and talk. Yeah. Right? And you know. Technology sometimes, often, gets a bad name. You, you know, you, you hear people saying, I'm not allowing phones in the meeting, or I don't want my kids to go online between this time and that time. Or, but it also does enable incredible communication. I mean, I'm old enough that there was none of that. And when I graduated from university, I just lost touch. I, I happened to travel a lot right after university. Mm. I went in Montreal and I immediately moved to Los Angeles and then I moved to New York and then I moved to Europe and then I moved to Asia and then I came back and by the time I'd done all that moving, I totally lost track of everybody, right. which would not have happened. And I'm slowly finding some of them again now, which is sort of fun. But, but technology does, for all of the negatives, it does do the positives as right. well. It enables communication right. as much as it... It, it can be used to hinder in-person communication. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, I'm a relentless optimist that we're only ever getting better. Yeah. And so we're using all of that to, 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 to generate real community. Yeah. Well, and you have leaders like Peter, like John, who, um, uh, who are in it not to make a quick buck and, you know, get out. They're in it for the community, you know, the yeah. primary thing. And as Peter said a year ago <clears throat> when we were uh, talking at the SEA assembly on the podcast, you know, the club that he grew up in is gone. Yeah. So it's all well and good to say we want to build community, but you have to have the structure that can last, that can be sustainable and, and won't disappear in five years. Yeah. Yet still have those definitions of community about accessibility and, you know, ages, you know, 7 to 90. Yeah. Well, the other thing that is just true is that what worked as community even 10 years ago may not work today. Mm -hmm. And expectations of, you know, if you were in New York in the 70s, mm -hmm. the expectations you had when you went into a facility were much lower than you have today. Mm -hmm. Now your average person expects a lot. I mean, and if you don't deliver it to them, they won't come back. Mm. It, it's not, it's, it's sort of, I, was, I won't name names here because it's this little negative, but I was talking to someone who was involved in the, in the center about it, and they're like, we just need five squash courts and 
changing rooms and we'll be fine. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no. It has to be well designed. Yeah. It has to be beautiful. Right. Like, it, people have this expectation and they may not tell you that. They may not say, oh yeah, of course it has to be well designed. They probably say, just have the squash courts. But when they come in, they would have a different experience and they'd be like, yeah, I just don't feel, you know. They will express it using emotion and not detail. They right. won't say, no, the this time, was wrong. this yeah. was wrong, and that's what's it's wrong. Like it just it's just a, right. not a good feeling, yeah. didn't feel right, yeah. and I don't think so. Yeah. And that's all, and what's happened is the quality of what you need to deliver has just gone up and up and right. up and up, you know, and it, and that's the story of humanity. I mean, we were living in caves, and we're not living in caves, if you want the book it, but, you know, I mean, every year <clears throat> the expectation of what, the yeah. average person is going to get for right. a dollar is going up. And so you can't take what you had and say, oh, I'm just going to do that again. You have to take the expectation you have today and, and exceed that. You have to, yeah. which right. is hard. Yeah. You know, so so that, I think that's one of the reasons squash hasn't... You know, it's got so many things, as I described earlier... It's a niche sport. It builds community. It keeps you fit. It's fantastic fun. It's so many strengths. Mm. And I think it's failed because it hasn't kept up with the times. It's like, we're great. We should, it should just... Right. Why doesn't everyone see how great we are? No, you're not great. It's not good enough. Yeah. Right. You know, not even close. Not even close. Not right. even close. Right. And so it's much <clears throat> easier to show that now we're going to show it. Yeah. Now you're going to come to Manhattan Community Center and you're going to see what squash really can be for the average person. We're not going to, I mean, maybe by accident we will have an amazing pro out of that because we just make such a broad, low pyramid that the pinnacle of that pyramid is better than everybody else. It's not the objective. Right, right. Well, the number one objective is to survive. Right? Yes, yes. Okay. And then the number two is like build a place that survives in a, in a way of community like the printing house and number three is like well let's do it again somewhere else we want I mean I really want to have the day when someone says squash and they mean the vegetable but the person listening thinks the sport because right. <laughs> that it's the reverse of what happens now <laughs> Oh, I thought you were talking about the sport. Right. You mean the vegetable. Oh, oh. <laughs> like I want squash to get there. Like, you know, the first thing when you say squash, you think of a great activity that keeps you fit and is fun and great for the whole family. Not a damn vegetable. <laughs> yeah, to so the average person who's never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. I want to change that, right? Um, and yeah. we want to change that as a team. Yeah. But that, you know. We want to share the joy we have. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, has spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.